My battle is not against my sibling. My battle is not against my boss. And for all you husbands out there, your battle is not against your mother-in-law. Amen. I need to remind myself that all the time. It's not against flesh and blood. We're in a spiritual battle against forces of darkness. We have a very real enemy, and he's called Satan, Lucifer, the prince of darkness, the evil one, the father of lies, the destroyer, the accuser. And his mission is to come against God's people. That's why Peter says this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, stay alert. Stay alert. In other words, always be on your guard. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Because he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. According to Jesus, he came on a mission. Jesus came to bring life and to give us life more abundantly. Jesus also said that Satan is on a mission. Satan's mission is very, very clear. He has never deviated from it. His strategy is surrounded by this mission. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What Satan wants to do is he wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your peace he wants to destroy your contentment and he will attack you every single day he will attack your finances he'll attack your friendships he'll attack your body he'll attack your marriage he'll attack your spiritual life he is on the attack trying to rob people of the blessing that God wants to bring into their lives and so In this message series, we've been looking at some metaphors or some images of Satan and trying to understand his strategy so that we can defeat his plans against us. So week number one, we looked at the deceiver. And we said, who's Satan? He's the deceiver who accuses our mind with lies. Last week, we looked at the accuser. Who is Satan? He is the accuser who targets your heart with accusations. This week is going to be a really, really important one. It may be difficult. It may be something challenging to hear. But this week, we're going to look at Satan as the destroyer who attacks or targets your will with pride. He is the destroyer who targets your will with pride. I used to think this, and let me share this with you, I used to think that the devil would only attack you when you're down, when you're weak, when you're vulnerable, and he will. But I've also learned that he loves to attack you when you're strong, when things are going well in your life. Some of you right now, you may be walking through a better season in life, and you think all things are good, so you don't have to worry that much. That may actually be the time when you're most vulnerable because it's the time when you're least aware, when you're least on alert, realizing that your enemy may be attacking. 
that he often does come in. And during that time, not only will he kick you when you're down, but he'll attack you when things are going well. I could remember in the military, when I was in the military, one of the things that they told us time and time again, when you were entering into a raid into people's homes, and they would say this time and time again, especially with people that were going out on deployment, you'd get there your very first month, you're in a foreign country, you're in a battle zone, okay? You're in a battle zone in a foreign country. You are ready to go at it. Your nerves are ready to go off at any moment. But here's the thing. American troops have certain living situations and conditions in deployment overseas. So in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, at the height of the wars, there were places like Burger King and McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts on posts to make you feel like you're a little bit at home. And one of the things, and one of the things that uh, that they do is that once you hit your sixth month, you have a nine-month deployment, you hit your sixth month of deployment, and all of a sudden you get so used to, you may not have been attacked for six months, so you become complacent. The enemy's very aware of that. And guess what? On that sixth month, when you're lax, when you're complacent, they will target you, they will attack, because you do not expect it to happen. You believe everything is going well. You believe that there's safety that's going on. So what I want to do today is show you an Old Testament story that many of you may actually not be familiar with. It's actually about a time when Satan actually launched a strategic attack against King David. And he didn't attack King David in this moment when he was discouraged, but he attacked David at the height of his power, at the height of his popularity. So if you don't know the rise of David, I'll just share with you, just uh, uh, give you the Cliff Notes version. He was just an ordinary little shepherd boy tending sheep. And on one occasion, his people were in a battle against another army, and there was this big giant. David went up there, and he says, why are you guys afraid of this guy? God's on our side. I'm going to take this guy on. And the day David ended up taking this enemy on Goliath. And suddenly overnight, think about this. If David were living in our age, he would be all over CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. He would be the trending story on Twitter and Facebook. He is at the height of his popularity at this moment. Who's this guy? Where does he come from? Then he's anointed to be the king of Israel and he rises to the height of power. He is a war hero. And when David goes out with his mighty men, he comes back home and there's victory over victory over victory. He was so popular that the women would see him coming home from battle and they would write songs about David and sing them in the streets as his army is coming through. Now, I don't know about you, But my wife has yet to write a song about my power, strength, and glory. (laughs) Maybe one day I'll I'll come home and she'll be there with a song in her hand declaring her love, her, her honor, and her respect for my godliness, my power, and my strength. And anything else that turns her on about me, she can sing about. Do you think that that'll happen? Probably not, right? But a guy can dream, can he? So they're singing about this guy. And he's at the height of his game. And he stumbles, not when he is weak or vulnerable, but he stumbles because of his pride. In fact, if I asked you and said, what do you think David's greatest sin was? A lot of people would look at that and would say, well, his greatest sin was adultery. 
with Bathsheba because that what's, that's what he's known by. Maybe someone who's thinking a little bit deeper would say maybe perhaps it's murder because he murdered Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and that's probably a bigger sin. So not only did he commit adultery, but when he had her husband, he sent them to the front lines, and maybe you would say perhaps murder is the biggest sin. I would argue if we took a step back that we could actually find perhaps a root sin that led to adultery, that eventually led to murder. In fact, his biggest struggle, along with so many of us, probably including me, is the root sin of pride. Think about this for a second. Because of David's adultery, four people indirectly died. And if you know the story, David's child with Bathsheba died, Amnon died, Absalom died, and Uriah died. Four people died. But because of David's sin of pride, we're going to look at this story, because of his sin of pride, 70,000 people were killed. Because of a filthy, horrendous sin of pride. That's where our enemy often attacks us. Not just when we're weak, but when we're proud. So let's dig in deep. First Chronicles chapter 21 verse 1. First Chronicles chapter 21 verse 1. And this tells us exactly what Satan did. How he attacked. Scripture says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. What did he do? Satan came at David when he was confident when he was strong, when he was victorious, and he invited David. He incited him to take a census of, of Israel, right? This is the height of David's life, right? David's favorite song on iTunes, Spotify, and Pandora was We Are the Champions, right? He is at the height of his power. And Satan comes up and says, hey, you're pretty powerful, aren't you, David? You're pretty amazing. You conquered kingdoms, and now you have all these people under your command. David, you should total them up to just see how strong and just how powerful you are. You should take a census to count up those that you rule in your kingdom, David, because you're mighty, you're strong, you're worthy of honor. Just how worthy of honor are you, David? Count up the people and let's just see how incredible you are. Now, you may look at this thing and you may be asking the very same question that I asked the very first time that I heard this story was, is it really wrong to take a census? I mean, 2020 is coming up. Trump better watch out because if this is how God dealt with David, something messed up is going to happen. There's a census coming up. Is it really wrong to take a census? The answer is no. That's not the issue that's going on here. What's wrong was the motive behind it because motives matter to God. Taking a census isn't a bad thing. Moses actually took a census, but the motive behind Moses' census was different completely. In fact, what Moses would do is he would take every man over the age of 20 and he would give them what's a monetary amount, half a shekel, This was known as atonement money 
or ransom money. What he was doing is he was saying, this represents honor to our God. I want to count up and tally and total amount of those that God has rescued, of those that God has redeemed from bondage and from slavery. So Moses' goal was to bring glory to God. Let's see how many God has, how many people God has set free. So with Moses, the census goal was to give honor to God. With David, the goal was to bring honor to himself. And this was something that was disgusting in the eyes of God. So let me slow down for a minute and tell you about my own struggle with this. For years, I used to live under the illusion that pride was not a big issue for me. And people would ask me, how do you not battle pride at all? And, and that's a common question that I used to get. And I used to half say, well, you know, half jokingly, right? I live with Crystal. She loves me. She honors me. But she's not that impressed with me. She helps me keep my feet on the ground. In fact, the only time my wife calls me pastor is after I've immediately sinned. Okay, pastor. She loves me, but I'm a regular guy to her. So I've lived under the illusion that I don't battle with pride. But I've learned that Satan attacks you in those difficult moments. Man, can I tell you something? I've been in in some situations before where I didn't realize that my pride was welling up inside of me. Until I can remember a pastor coming up one day. And let me tell you, I've prayed, I've prayed and, and fought and worked towards uh, having God use us as a leadership team to build a mighty church. So I had this pastor come to me during a, a gathering. They gathered here in the church. And he goes, oh, cute church. I mean, cute church. <laughs> Powerful, mighty church. You dimwit. Like, you know, what do you mean cute church? Every time pastors get together, it's like, you know, a, a match, you know. Uh, how big is your congregation? Well, how big is yours? You, you know, <laughs> there's always this, this thing that, that kind of goes, you know, kind of goes down. And, um, and so, you know, I never realized that I have pride in me until someone says something like that. And pride literally wells up in me. And I'm like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? It's a mighty church. Like, get out of here. Like, what, what does your church look like? Like, get out. <laughs> and so sometimes you have this spirit of pride that kind of, you know, honestly wells up within you. And Satan loves to attack you when you're full of pride. You see, my only role is to point people to Jesus. But when I'm weak and vulnerable and full of sin, and suddenly I want the glory just like David did, let me tell you how big my church is. Let me tell you the people that I count up. It's the very same thing. It's actually disgusting to God and it's heartbreaking. should be heartbreaking to me, to us. And that's still an issue that I deal with in my life. And this was David's issue and others could see it too. That's why it is so challenging to deal with. It's so difficult to look at yourself in the mirror. It's easy to see in other people. But it's so difficult to see in yourself. Now, Joab was a loyal guy to David. 
He was the commander of David's troops. So think about this. He's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, right? He saw it very clearly in David. First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 6 and 7 says, Joab didn't include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering. Now, these are entire tribes. In other words, I'm counting, but I'm leaving that out. Why? Because the king's command literally says, he says it was repulsive to him. I'm going to honor these people. I'm going to keep them out. The command was also evil in the sight of God, scripture says. So God punished Israel. And if you read through it, it's a heartbreaking story of how 70,000 people end up dying as a direct result of David's sin of pride. So which was worse, adultery or pride? Well, adultery is pretty bad, but let me show you how pride caused it, right? Let me show you how this happens time and time and time again. I'm the king of Israel. I'm good looking. I have all the riches in the world. Why wouldn't a woman fall for me? I could get any woman that I want. I'm going to look at that. You see that girl over there? She's bathing. Man, she looks good. And David just stared a little bit too long. I want some of that. Not only do I want some of that, I deserve that. I'm the king. When David committed the sin of adultery, here's what he said to Nathan the prophet. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. But when he committed the sin of pride, he put an adjective before sin. He didn't just say, I sinned against the Lord, but he said, I've sinned greatly by doing this. The deadly sin of pride, if you're taking notes this morning, here's what I hope you'll understand. You may never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. Some of you, you're vulnerable right now because you don't know that you're full of pride in this moment. And pride just has a way of creeping up on us. Uzziah was a great man in the Old Testament and he did something pretty cool. He had this innovative war idea. And because of that, he rose to fame and power and his pride literally took him out. This is what scripture says. Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16. But after Uzziah became powerful, what happened? His pride led to his downfall. Let me tell you something. I've seen this time and time again happen. Pride can take you out of leadership. Pride can take away your credibility. Pride can hurt your marriage. Pride can hurt your intimacy with God. Pride can hurt your friendships. Pride can lose you credibility in sharing your witness. And pride is what took this man down. Proverbs 16 verse 18 says this. Pride precedes destruction. An arrogant spirit appears before a fall. How do we see it in lives all around us today? How does it manifest itself in ourselves? Well, I'm so holy. I could never do that. I mean, can you believe that she carries herself like that? Can you believe she walks, he walks around acting so holy? I know God's word. I'm in church every weekend. I would never do that. Or manifest itself like this. I've seen this happen time and time again. We need to pray for him. Because I want to tell you what they're doing right now. I'm trying to relay you their prayers, but I don't want to call it gossip. It's really prayer. I, I never do that. I'm a self-made person. I've earned everything I've got, and I've got a lot, and I've worked hard, and I've earned it, and I deserve it. 
or it manifests like this. Well, I know I probably got a problem, but I can't tell anyone about it because I got to keep my reputation up. And so I may have a problem, but I'm not going to talk to anybody about it. Or it may manifest like this. I've seen this one before. Who are you to tell me what to do? I'm the one doing everything here. It's not my fault anyway. Don't tell me this marriage is my fault. It's your fault. It's not my fault. You don't tell me what's your problem. An argument with your spouse. And all you need to hear over and over again in those moments is, is over and over again. Three crucial words. You ready to hear them? Pride, pride, pride. This is how many people I have in my church. Pride. Disgusting to God. We may never be more vulnerable than when we're full of pride. So how does God feel toward the proud? Let me show you how God feels. James, Jesus' little brother, his half-brother by Mary. This is what he says in James chapter 4. He says, God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. Let me just give you the Greek translation here because sometimes we don't get just how mighty and powerful and how significant these words are in scripture. It is literally a military term and it literally means to bring the full force of an army. In other words, if you stand and say, I deserve the glory that God deserves, God is completely against you. God opposes you with everything that he is. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Then he says, submit yourself. And the Greek word translated as submit is another military term. It means to voluntarily rank under someone, to choose submission to the person who ranks higher than you. In other words, it's saying, God, I fully submit to you. God opposes the proud. He shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves, rank under, voluntarily submit to God. Then resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you submit to God, you have the power of God. You have the presence of God. You have the strength of God. And after you submit to God, you can then resist the devil. Confront the devil. You have the power, the authority to then come and say, devil, get away from me. You've got no place here. You've got no power here. Not today, not my house, not my family, not my finances, not with the people I love. You resist the devil and he will free from you. Not because you're strong, but because of the power of God in you. Because the power of God in you is greater and stronger than the power of the evil one. When you submit to God, you have the strength of God. You're able to resist the devil by the power of God and he will flee from you. Then he says this, come near to God. And God will come near to you. So what do you do? You don't elevate yourself. You humble yourself before the Lord. And he will lift you up. When it comes to God 
and the evil one. When it comes to heaven and hell, when it comes to light and darkness, when it comes to the power of good and the forces of evil, there is no middle ground. You can't just kind of love God. You can't just sort of follow Jesus. Scripture says this, friendship with this world is hatred toward God. That means friendship with the sinfulness, friendship with everything that is evil in this world is hatred towards God. That's why we submit, we voluntarily rank under because his word is our guide. God's spirit empowers us. His will is what we want. To declare God, we submit to you. Then submitted to God, we have the ability to resist the evil one and he will flee from us. We need to understand we're never more vulnerable than when we're full of God. Essentially, when we are being prideful, we are declaring our independence from God. I don't need you, God. I've got this. And humility is the total opposite. Humility is declaring our complete dependence of God. God, I need you. Moment by moment. I need you guiding me. I need you directing me. I need your word. I need you. I need to know what you want me to do, what my next steps are. I need your spirit comforting me, convicting me, speaking to me. I need you for my next breath. I need you for my next decision. I need you to help me know how to love this person when I don't know how to love. I need your strength when I'm weak. I need you every single moment. That is humility. And when we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. Listen to me. There's no middle ground. It's either all Jesus or nothing because he is everything. Why do you think God opposes the proud? Why would he bring the full forces of everything he has to oppose those who are proud? It's very likely because all the way back, Even before the creation of the world, Lucifer, the angel that God loved, battled with the root sin of pride, and it ended up taking him down. You may have missed a couple of weeks ago, but we talked about the reality that God created at least three archangels that we know of in Scripture, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. Lucifer was a beautiful angel, and he would worship God. He was the worship leader of heaven, but he became full of pride and he wanted to be like God. And that's why God cast him down. So what was his big weakness? He said time and time again, I will, my will, I will, my will, what I want. In Isaiah 14, five different times. He declares his sovereignty and his will. Listen to Isaiah chapter 14. I will ascend to the heavens. Pride. And he said, I will raise my throne above the stars. Pride. He said, I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly. Pride. I will ascend to the top of the clouds. Pride. I will make myself like the most high. What was he? Lucifer was all about himself. Jesus was all about the glory of God. Lucifer was all about his will. Jesus was all about thy will. In the garden, in Gethsemane, when Jesus knew what was ahead, that he would suffer an incredible 
amount of pain at the cross at Calvary, Jesus prayed to God. And in agony, as drops of blood poured from his eyebrow, he cried out to his father, if there's any way, may this cup of suffering be removed from me. And then in submission to God, he said this, I voluntarily rank under you. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Not my plan, but God, your plan. It's not about me. I'm here to glorify you. It's not about my importance. It's about your kingdom. It's not about my popularity. It's about your sovereignty. It's not about my wishes. It's about your will. Not my will, but your will be done. Church, humility is not a weakness. When you are humble, you have the strength of God. You are never, ever weaker than when you are full of pride in your life. And you're never, ever stronger than when you are humble before God. Because when you submit to God, he fills you with his presence. And you have the power and the authority to say, I resist you. You've got no business here. Get behind me, not my house, not my family. It's the power of Christ dwelling in me. We are in a spiritual battle. Some of you say, well, I'm under attack this week. Well, let me just tell you, you're under attack every week. Every week. How do you fight back? Listen, you have the armor of God. The Bible tells us we have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. The belt of truth. You have the shoes with, prepared with the gospelness, gospel of the readiness of peace. You have one offensive weapon. We spoke about that time and time again. It is the sword of the spirit. It is the very word of God. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It's full of power. We fight with the word. We fight with the truth. Whenever the devil attacks our pride, hey, you got nothing on me. You don't need anybody's help. You can do it all on your own. You're pretty important, God. I mean, look at you. You got the shoes. You got the purse you got the house you got the car you got the name hey don't let anybody else know that you're hurting don't let anybody else tell you what to do who are they to tell you anything it's their problem it's not your problem you don't need anybody else you don't need community you don't need the church you can do this thing on your own you don't need other people it's all about you 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 they need to show more respect to you. You're the only one who gets things done here anyway. And in those moments, you draw out the sword. And you say, I humble myself before the Lord and he will lift me up in due time. Because I am called by your name, I will humble myself and pray and seek your face and heaven will hear my prayers and you will forgive my sins and you will heal my land and I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for you alone are good because your mercy endures forever. You are my God. Earnestly I will seek you. My soul longs for you in a dry and weary land because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live because your mercy endures forever. Not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory to your name be the glory less of me more of you God because of who you are I voluntarily submit to your lordship why because you are king of kings
Because you are Lord of Lords. Because you are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning. You are the end. You are the first and the last. You are the soon returning conquering King of Kings. Who comes with the sword out of his mouth. Declaring your word. Because you are righteous. Because you are true. Because you are my Redeemer. Because you are my Savior. Because you are my friend. You are my rock. Because you are my righteousness. Because you set your son to do more for me than I could ever do for myself because you came to give me life and to give it more abundantly because the devil is a liar he's the father of lies who comes to steal kill and destroy but because Jesus is greater and he is more powerful because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world I submit to God I resist the devil and he must flee from me we're in a spiritual battle church It's not like if you're in a battle. You're in the thick of things. And when we don't have what it takes to win the battle on our own, that's why you're never stronger than when you're more powerful than when you're broken. Because you realize, I can't do this thing on my own. I can't figure this out. The the enemy's got me surrounded, got me confounded, got me confused. And you become dependent on him because when you're weak, that's when he's strong. So I'm going to tell you something, church, from the bottom of my heart. Ready? You will never hear this in your entire life. This is probably the first time that you have ever heard this. But I want you to take this home with you today. Place this on your refrigerator. Ready? Be weak today. Be weak today. Be broken today. Be courageous enough to ask for help today. Call on his name. You don't have what it takes. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You weren't designed to do it on your own. You were designed to need him. You were designed to need his people and the community that comes from that. Scripture says where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. We gather today to glorify him. You're never more vulnerable than when you're full of pride, and you're never stronger than when you're broken before God. So let's pray. So Father, we ask that by your power, you would do a work within us. God, that you would strengthen your church as we humble ourselves before you. And as you're reflecting in prayer, there are those of you who may recognize, hey, Pastor Top, just like you, a battle with pride. And it may not be obvious to me, but guess what? I'm seeing it right now. I see it in my life. I got this on my own. I don't need anybody's help. I'm okay. I've said it before. I'm not going to listen to you could be something a little bit more subtle for some of you hey I'm not proud then you realize there's some areas mm, that you're a little bit proud of you're still the center of your own dialogue but Jesus wants to be the center of your story those who say yes this morning I want to be humble yes I want to be broken for him I want to lift him to lift me up today I want to be strong because he's strong in me. Those who are saying, I want to say that prayer, would you lift your hand up today in this house? Amen. And God bless you. 
lift them up, Lord. Thank you for a church full of people broken and dependent on you. We pray, oh God, that by your power, as we humble ourselves, you would lift us up. God, for those today that are very aware of a battle going on, I pray that they would voluntarily rank under you, that they would choose to submit to you. God, give them the strength by the power of Christ to resist the devil, because greater is the one that is in us than the one that is in the world. And I pray that when they resist the devil, God, that you would give them power and authority and strength to move forward in life. And I pray that as they resist, that they would thank you, that he would flee, that they would declare that he has no power here. This is not his place, but this place, this family, this finances, this home belongs to Jesus. God, give them the faith to say, no, not today. To declare, get away from me, Satan, and he must move. God, in our weakness, would you be strong this morning? In Jesus' name.